This episode of Disrupt is brought to you by HomeCare Homebase, America's number one home health software solution. Spend less time on paperwork and more time delivering quality care to patients. Visit hchb.com and see how home health software can help your organization. Welcome to this week's episode of Disrupt, a home healthcare news podcast. I'm Tim Mullaney, editor of Home Healthcare News, and I'm excited to share a conversation I had with Stephen Rogers, the CEO of Accent Care. It's a large home healthcare provider based in Dallas, Texas, that uh, has more than 150 locations across 11 states. And Stephen had an interesting story to share coming out of uh, the insurance world with United Healthcare. And he also has an interesting personal journey that brought him to Accent Care. Steve, welcome to the podcast. I want to start out by asking you a little bit about your personal journey to becoming CEO of Accent Care, because um, I think it's, it's, it was an interesting path that you took. So to turn the clock back, I think you got a bachelor's in biochem from the University of California at Berkeley. Is that right? And just curious if you can describe what you were thinking your career might be at that point in your life. Yeah, Tim. Actually, I did. I got a I got a uh, bachelor's at the University of California Berkeley in in biochem. At at that point, I had kind of quasi entertained kind of going on to medical school. But and I know it may not be in my background, but my, my journey in healthcare actually started out of the out of the uh, out of high school where I I joined the military and I was a medic in the army. And so I was a, uh, joined the military in 1980. Uh, was a medic in United States Army, paratrooper, trained to Fort Sam Houston down there and spent time in North Carolina. And when I got out of the Army and went to Berkeley, the way I supported myself through school at Berkeley was actually working in Kaiser hospitals and working in other hospitals in the San Francisco Bay Area, doing orderly and attendant and nursing work on the floors, and then actually uh, being an attendant, a personal care attendant, in the home, uh, and I did that. For instance, I took care of a quadriplegic for two years as a personal attendant uh, while he was going to Bolt Law School, which is Berkeley Law School there. So I, that, that's where I got my passion a little bit, I guess you could say, kind of coming out of uh, coming out of Berkeley and and uh, you know thinking about kind of what I wanted to do in healthcare. That's really interesting. I didn't realize you had that interlude in the um, military. Can you? Maybe just describe a little bit what drove your decision to, was it coming out of high school that you joined the military? Yeah, I came, uh, as all of us, you know, it's, it's 1979. I, I just graduated from high school. I was accepted into UC Berkeley. And, you know, as we all, especially, especially kids at that age, you know, you're kind of struggling with what you're going to do. I don't think I was ready for college. And I wanted to get away because Berkeley, I grew up in the Bay Area and Berkeley was in town. And I think back then, at least coming from a, you know, coming from a family that was not necessarily well to do, you didn't necessarily have, you didn't, you didn't think about like going to school away. It was all just, you know, pretty much I applied to two schools, Hayward State and UC Berkeley. And I got in UC Berkeley. And when it kind of all came around, I was like, I, I guess I was ready for a little bit of adventure. So I broke the mold and it was not a popular thing to do back then and decided I wanted to join the army. And I basically signed up to be a special forces medic in the army and went off on that journey, which was actually a great interlude for me. It got me out of town. It created for me an appreciation for the diversity of America. When you're sitting in a, when you go to basic training and you're working with people from Alabama and Texas and New York and California and all these different spots, the Midwest, all across, so it gave you a real good sense of your place in the world and gave you a little bit more focus when you got out. Yeah, that's really interesting. Where were you, um, where did that journey take you in terms of just ge- geographically? I was uh, basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Then I went to do my 91B, which is the medical training down at Fort Sam Houston. And then I went to do special forces training in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Came back to Fort Sam the following summer to get my advanced medical training that I ended up having. Did OJT on the job training in hospitals up in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And then back to North Carolina again to finish my special forces and to be stationed there for the remainder of my time there. Besides kind of then, you know, you go on different journeys once you're in there, different different opportunities to see different things. I was fortunate that it was not a time of 
conflict like so many of our soldiers have to go through today. So I was never put in, per se, harm's way directly in a, in a conflict situation. But it was, a, it was a great experience for me. Great. So then you decide to go to Berkeley and pick up your education after that. And obviously, you already had that interest in healthcare. How, how did you, can you sort of talk me through a little bit of how you ended up providing that personal attendant type care? Was that something that you sort of pursued purposefully? Or did you just know you wanted to, you were looking for jobs in healthcare, and that sort of presented itself? Yeah, so I, I did, you know, so I, I, first thing I did when I got out of the military in, in the summer I got out was, uh, actually I got out of the military on terminal leave, started in the spring quarter, needed to work. I, you know, it's one of those things, you don't have an option, so you needed to work. And I went to a per diem nursing agency and signed up with a per diem nursing agency who they did back then, they did some basic tests for you and they started putting me in different hospitals in the Bay Area where once again, I was, you know, both doing orderly work as well as on the floor nursing work. It was very interesting back then, too, to see how a Kaiser hospital, Kaiser even then was a machine. It was mm-hmm. working in the downtown Oakland Hospital. And I think it was somewhere around, you know, a couple years later uh, when I was in school that, you know, I wanted something that kept me closer to school, a little bit more predictable, had a schedule because of just the nature of the business. And I can't remember. I, I can't remember if it was like in the job center at Berkeley, but I, I was looking for something to healthcare again. I saw the need for you know a, a job advertised for attendant services, and you know met met Arthur, who was my my client at the time there, and you know I would I was one of two or three attendants. You got him up in the he's quadriplegic. Got him up in the morning, put him to bed at night, cooked him his meals, got him out during the day. So I think he ran three shifts. So either you get him up, you cook his meal, or you put him to bed. Uh, and it was a great experience. You know, you both in the way you and I, and, and I have an appreciation for the way our nurses and attendants actually bond uh, with patients and can bond with patients. And, you know, you're, you get to know them not only on the job, but off the job a little bit sometimes. If you're fortunate and you have that kind of relationship, and, you know, it gives you an, a, a true appreciation for... I think the the services, at least in this business, what our people do. So it was great. It was a great experience. Got it. And as you're doing that, you're also going to school. Obviously, I think you mentioned that you were thinking that medical school might be your path. How was how were you sort of developing on that side, deciding what uh, your next step might be, medical school or not? Yeah. So life, as you know, is you know it's based on a lot of just choices we end up making at different points and at different critical junctures. So I think somewhere along. Between my junior and senior year in college, I decided that I needed to get experience in more of an office-based type of job. So I responded to an ad to go to work for this thing called an HMO. And it was a startup HMO in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I ended up working that summer doing outbound telemarketing to employers in that startup HMO. And it was actually, I kind of did... I guess, good enough work that at the end of the summer, they asked me to stay on and to work part-time for them doing, I always had an affinity for numbers and analytics. And back then I was like one of the few people that could run the green screen IBM computers. And so uh, they asked me to stay on and be an analyst for them part-time while I was finishing up my school. And so I actually ended up starting to work part-time for this plan. It was called Heels Health Plan then and stayed on with them through my senior year there and kind of into the into the following year. And then um, I think you ended up at United Healthcare, is that right? Can you maybe next next talk us through the next stage in your journey out of school and those early years of your career? Yeah, a lot of different journeys. I mean, you know, if you if you think about it, and I'll give you the so I'll give you the thumbnail because I could probably talk the whole hour just on that and you'd be bored to death. But I basically I um, Went back east. I I actually decided that then my wife wanted to finish graduate school out in Boston. So we basically got up and moved. I worked for, at that time, Harvard Community Health Plan out in Boston. And uh, then I kind of transitioned eventually over into John Hancock, which was still in healthcare at that time, and uh, managed the digital equipment account, which was the largest account they had at that time. 
and put in the first point of service plans in the country. We ran around, put in the first point of service plans for them all across the country and started to partner with the local HMOs. And that's back when you probably had a half a dozen or more HMOs in a local marketplace before they all consolidated up. And they were all very local and regional HMOs. And so I was their lead consultant for them there. And it was actually through that experience, I was sat on the board when NCQA built uh, Quality Measures Thetis. So I was actually working with NCQA on that, put in the first regional quality scorecard for uh, managed care up in, up in New England up there and got recruited to go run all the managed care and retiree benefits for the General Electric Company. So I ended up down in GE, down in Fairfield, Connecticut, and basically ran for them for four years all of their managed care benefits, which got me in touch with the top leadership of United, Aetna, Cigna, all the different plans that we ended up, we were working with. And GE at that time was in their heyday, so it was a great place to be. It was uh, near the end of uh, Jack Welch's term in there. They were the largest company in the world at that time and one of the most prestigious. And so really allowed us to do some very interesting things and get in just about anywhere. And it was actually through that experience I got connected into United and got introduced to Steve Hemsley and Bill McGuire at that time, who recruited me in to the organization back when United, I joined United when they were roughly about a $20 billion company. And did that uh, mean a move to the Twin Cities? I moved to the Twin Cities. I went out there. I spent four years kind of in the Twin Cities, the first four Four or five years at United, I ran all their healthcare network operations. So I actually built the national network, and a lot of the people that are in there are, that I hired are still there today. So I was uh, did that. I ran uh, all the commercial product for them for a number of years, and so I, I uh, did that. I ran their international business. They had a inter- small international presence at that time, and I, I ran the international business for a little bit. And then the last thing I did there was started the organization that is now known as Optum Care. And so uh, over three years, basically, it was a very exciting time period. We moved United into the care space and consolidated assets both internally and externally uh, together to create about a $3 billion business. And this is the same business that most recently bought healthcare partners, uh, as well as SCA, the ambulatory surgery company. So we basically kind of created the base for that particular business, which was an exciting time. Yeah. And I think to focus in on those Optum years, um, I, was it called collaborative care? Was that the... Uh, yeah, that was, it was Optum collaborative care before. And just in the last couple of years, they moved it to Optum care, just simplified it to Optum care. Yep. Got it. So I guess curious to drill down even more into those, um, you know, health years, obviously you wore a lot of different hats there. And just wondering if you can t- talk a little bit about how your interests evolved over your time there, what you sort of learned about yourself and the healthcare industry. I know these are big questions, but curious, I guess, just what it was like to work in such a sort of behemoth company or, or a company that was already large and growing into a behemoth and what you sort of took away from that experience. Yeah, I mean, there were so many great experiences, you know, I had, you know, at United and, you know, it was kind of a real thrill to be part of uh, part of the leadership kind of during a transformational time period for both the industry and the organization and to be in so many different roles that were kind of at the center of the transformation. And if I had to kind of kind of get it down to a few things, I think the, you know, I mean, I really learned to operate on a national basis in, 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 in an organization like that and really, you know, learn to operate at scale. And I think, you know, that was, you know, we, one of the things that I ended up, the first thing I ended up doing there was, you know, when I came in and built the national networks, uh, you know, I had to actually literally, that the networks were still controlled by all local health plans. Um, and so you actually had to learn to, you know, we built from the ground up job descriptions for all the people inside the organization. And basically, we had to, you know, very much work with all the local teams, get the buy-in across the organization for the vision of kind of where we were going in the future with it, and then, you know, execute in a credible way uh, on that. And so you really learn how to operate at scale you learn how to operate in, in the diversity of all the local marketplaces that you end up operating in. You learn how to build 
teams and businesses and processes that can scale. And so you, you, you get the experience in, in doing that. You have the ability to work around very talented people who basically, you know, you get to learn a lot from, you know, at that time, the Reed Tuxons of the world, there was the medical director, the chief medical officer in there and Washington House, Steve Hemsley built and operated a company like that. And, you know, some of the different Andy Slavitt was in there at that time and, you know, getting to watch all these, you know, different people who have in and of their own right. Simon Stevens, who actually took over the international business after me and they went back to run the NHS. You know, so you're really interfacing with, you know, some of the best people in healthcare, and it was a real privilege to kind of be in there and be alongside them and, and help them. And, you know, and then you also learn, you know, the influence that an organization like that has and your ability to open doors and the responsibilities you have, you know, with that they, they come with that. And so it was a tremendous time in my career where I really learned a lot. And what years were those, the, the United Health years for you? I would have been, uh, I joined United in November of 1999, and uh, I stayed at United. I was, you know, in United until June of uh, 2012. And then, um, I think it was in July of 2012 that you so, started yeah. as CEO Care, is that right? Correct. Um, yeah, started in Accent Care. Yeah. So, I guess... Why did you decide to take that position? What excited you about it? Was it did it seem like a risk at all to you to be leaving? You were long tenured at United Health, a leader there. Um, did it seem like a risk to try this new thing? It's kind of interesting. So here, here's the way I, I thought a little bit about it. I had the opportunity. So the last thing I did there was build this care delivery organization. And we worked a lot with these delegated physician practices, practices, physician practices that were taking risk. And, and some of the premier ones, and I had the opportunity once again to get in some very good ones like healthcare partners at that time or Monarch out in California that we bought or um, WellMed here in Texas. And one of the things I saw that they did very, very well was they took care of, they, they, they proactively got in front of sick people, right? And the way they proactively got in front of sick people is they went out looking for them and they got them in their homes and they got them wherever they lived. They got them in the aisles and aisles and the different places. And they put the resources into going out and getting them. And I really thought about that. That really hit me. And, you know, as you look at the problems across healthcare, you know, and, and, you know, we don't focus enough of our resources. Our sickest people in the country do not get the best resources. And in fact, one of my good physician friends tell, you know, his one of his sayings that's always stuck with me is it's really hard to find physicians that want to take care of sick people because of the incentives in the system and the way the reimbursement works in the system today. It actually, quite frankly, benefits a lot of people in the system to quickly transact on healthy people. And it takes a lot of work uh, to take care of sick people. And I really got a passion for how do you take something like what these physician practices were doing it, doing and doing it on a really large scalable basis that impacts broader portions of the population. And as I looked around the industry for the best platform to do that on, I saw home care. And so I purposely started seeking out home care in that 2012 time period and had the opportunity to... Uh, find accent care at that time that had a need for a, a CEO, and it was of relevant size enough, I thought, at that time, uh, that it was worth the investment into it. And quite frankly, I think at that point in my career, uh, I was financially well-to-do enough that I could take the risk. It wasn't going to be a big deal if it failed uh, or if I failed for me personally. So, uh, you know, I think with, with all that behind me, I like what I like to say is I sought out home care uh, and, you know, put my head to it. And, you know, I've been here now six years, almost six years uh, on this on this journey. Great. So I want to dig into uh, what you've been doing at Accent Care. But maybe before that, I just have a couple more questions that are maybe a little more personal in nature, just trying to maybe get a sense of what makes you tick a little bit. So, you know, you've been at these organizations that have had very high profile um, leaders, uh, you know, Jack Welch, you mentioned, Steve Hemsley. And so wondering what, how, how you describe your leadership style and maybe who your mentors have been through the course of your career. 
So, you know, my leadership style has, like anybody else, has kind of evolved over the time period as as I've had the benefit to actually age and and be in business. And, you know, most recently, and it's a good question because most recently I've actually had the opportunity to really kind of think about it because as I think about uh, the best thing I could do as a leader is to teach other leaders and to to create the next generation of leaders. And so I've really kind of thought a lot about leadership and the kind of leader I am and the kind of leaders I want around me. And as I talk about that, I talk about being a resilient leader. And, you know, we work in very difficult businesses that on any given day, things happen. And, you know, we need leaders that are able to kind of face into the myriad of challenges that we have as, you know, organizations and industries and don't shirk away. And I talk about the five characteristics I look for in a leader and that I try and emulate as a leader. And the five characteristics I, I really kind of try and emulate are the first is excellence. You know, that you, you know, if you want people to follow you, you got to be good. And, you know, excellence means that when you walk in a room that people know who you are, they can trust you, uh, that there's somebody that they want to follow into the fire. And so I really look at the number one thing as being, you know, you got to be excellent. You got to be excellent at what you got to do. You got to be knowledgeable, and you got to be somebody who's trusted that they want to follow. The second thing that I really think leaders need to be is they need to be starters and doers. They need to be people that are willing to get their hands dirty. That when problems present themselves, that as a leader you've got the ability to craft a vision to show people how they're going to get to the other side of it, and that you don't wait for somebody else to jump in and take care of your problems or the problems at hand, but you are a starter and doer and you actually reach your hands down into it and you, you know, you make it happen. The third thing that I look for in leaders is, is situational awareness that we've all got to operate. We operate with environments. We don't operate in shallow kind of our own boxes, right? We operate in industries, we operate in organizations, we operate in these environments. You've got to understand the environment around you. And as you're crafting these plans, you've got to be able to adapt those plans to the operating environments that you're in. So we need people that have that situational awareness. The fourth thing you need as a leader that that I look for is people that are actually able to tap into the emotions of their team and turn really bad situations into really positive results and know how to actually use the emotions of the team to drive the teams to places that they normally would not go to. And so this kind of this whole emote this whole kind of tapping into emotions is critical. And then the last and critically important piece of being a leader, I believe, is you gotta love your people. You got to be somebody who has a passion for, cares about, and wants to advance the people around you and see them succeed not only as individuals within your organization, but as individuals uh, and individuals into their own right, right? And, you know, one of the mottos I have is, is that when you take care of your people, they'll take care of your patients. And so those are the five characteristics I look for and I look to emulate as a leader inside, you know, inside an organization like Accent Care. So... You enter Accent Care uh, 2012, wondering where the company was at when you came in as CEO, um, and if you can talk through what some of your first priorities were on the job. So, you know, when I got here in 2012, uh, the company was hurting a little bit. It basically was um, not making any money. There was a lot of turnover in both leadership team and the management. It had just gone through... Uh, the bringing together of two organizations. And so there was, uh, you know, they brought together Accent Care out of the West uh, with essentially the Guardian company, the Guardian Home Healthcare Company, uh, and brought the two of them together and then moved the headquarters to Dallas, Texas, and none of it went very well. And so, you know, there was um, a, not a lot of esprit de corps going on inside the organization. There was turnover, the company is losing money. Uh, and it was under a lot of pressure. And so it was, you know, not a great situation. And, you know, it didn't have the leadership team it needed uh, to move an organization forward like this. And so, you know, the first thing you have to do as a leader inside an organization going through something like that is it's hard to build on a, on, on a, on a squishy foundation. It also had its information systems were in really poor shape. It, we were operating on 
two different uh, home care platforms on four or five different attendant platforms out there, you know, and so a lot of the basic pieces kind of were not in place. So as in anything like this, it starts with your people. You know, we really had to actually, for any better word, get people to sit in their seats and give, begin to give them a vision that there was going to that there was going to be a better place to go to, uh, in, inside of this organization that we were going to be able to get this to, to go ahead. And so, I would say the first six months of the organization were essentially really reaching out and deep inside the organization, touching the executive directors out in the sites and touching the, 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 the core sales people we had and the other people within the organization and really making the connection of the senior leadership team uh, with those people to, to make them feel like this was a place that they wanted to be. You know, and then at the same time, we needed to begin to get the future of our systems in place. And so at that point, we made the decision to move all our home care platform to home care home base. Uh, and so as we kind of launched into 2013, uh, we, within one year's time period, completely replaced those two operating platforms that we had before uh, with home care home base and really kind of created our operating model out in the field associated with the, the, the business. And so that's a little bit of what I worked into and a little bit of what we kind of faced into in the first 18 months there. And from my perspective, just reporting on the company, it seems like um, you achieved success with that just based on where the company has gone since then. And I think that you, it seems to me like you've been able to now get to a position where you're growing. So I guess, I guess maybe... Is, am I correct in that uh, assumption? Yeah, we. when I took over the company, the company was maybe doing in the low $400 million in, in, in revenue. Last year, we finished the business at roughly about $670 million in revenue and making a very good margin on that business, being very successfully financially. One of the things we're very proud of here at, at Accent Care is we know how to grow. We have great organic growth uh, within the company. If you look over the course of the last three years, uh, our top line revenue has grown at 18.8% on an annual adjusted basis. Our bottom line has grown at 35.6% on an annual adjusted basis. And I'm very, what I'm actually though equally proud of is, is, you know, our engagement and, and input from our employees, you know, so if I go back to three years ago, and we brought in IBM uh, to do employee engagement surveys. We've moved in that time period eight points uh, in our employee engagement. And our, our employees in the company feel good about being here. They feel this company's got a very great future and vision. Uh, they've got confidence in, in the management team in here. And we've continued to try and kind of foster an environment for them where they can, you know, personally achieve what they need to. And so, you know, really over the course of the last, you know, five years, I'm very proud about what we collectively have created, uh, you know, inside this organization. And then I think over on the other side, I think, you know, as you get into the, the, the creating the baseline, you know, for the, for the company, I mean, and I know you want to talk about this in a minute, but the ability to, you know, go out and, and create joint ventures with some of the premier health systems in the country, uh, to me, is an equally great accomplishment you know, because the, they don't pick laggards, as you know. So, you know, having Baylor Scott and White, mm -hmm. uh, having UCLA, having UC San Diego, and a pretty full pipeline of others that are kind of very that they're looking to join us is a is a very proud accomplishment. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. Accent Care, that this does seem like one of the big um, strategies for growth is that you've <clears throat> forged these joint ventures with big health systems, hospital systems. And so I guess just curious to get a little bit more detail there on maybe the strategy to target these particular kinds of joint ventures, what the, if there's sort of a basic business model for them that um, is being replicated or if each deal and arrangement is sort of different. And then just sort of big picture where you see the place of home health and home care within the healthcare system more broadly. Obviously, you're getting integrated into these systems. I assume that you know, I think coming out of the Affordable Care Act, coordinated care, value-based care has really been 
buzzwords do you really see that starting to manifest in home care and home health, being able to forge these kinds of deals and create these closer relationships with these types of partners? Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll take I'll break that down in a couple of pieces. It'll kind of lead into these, you know, lead into these partnerships and pains for you about broad picture of kind of, you know, action care strategy and what we think is important. Right. You know, so the first thing I, I talk about four things that matter inside the company. And this is how we approach marketplaces. You know, so the first thing that matters is is for uh, size and density matters. That healthcare is a local business. And it's important that you are a relevant player in the marketplaces you operate. And so we're very focused on building large, dense operations in the geographies we operate because you want to be a relevant player. You want to be relevant to the referral sources, hospitals, physicians in the market. You want to be relevant to managed care. You want to be relevant to labor markets. So it's important that you're one of the top players in the marketplace that you operate to create that relevancy. And it also creates efficiency and effectiveness of your operating platform. That when we are a larger player in a marketplace and run larger operating units, those operating units produce better quality outcomes and better cost results. And so being big and dense in marketplaces we operate is important. And so for instance, one of the average statistics we look at is, is the average size of one of our home healthcare agencies in accident care, and this was recently diluted because of a lot of the small ones we brought in with stay home, but our average size is in excess of 250 to 260. If you look at some of the national for-profit um, public players, their average size is about 150. We have and run operating units, agencies, home healthcare agencies, as large as uh, 1,100. We've got a number of operating units that are above five, 600 across the country here. So we believe in size and density. Second thing we believe in is we believe in partnerships. And that drives some of the questions you have around JVs. We, as a tenant, believe post-acute care and home care as a standalone, non-connected business is sub-optimized. That the way that we will be able to produce better care for our patients uh, and better care in the communities that we end up operating in is to be connected. And so we really look to be connected to large health systems and relevant large physician practices within the marketplaces we operate. And we believe the best and strongest connection is financial alignment. Uh, and so when we are financially aligned with, with, with these systems, we're working towards quality goals together, right? And that's where I think where you've seen over the course of the last, you know, several years as these health systems have become much more responsible for the care outside of their hospital because of the value-based systems that have been put in place, that essentially uh, they've been much more willing to and wanting to move to relationships like this. And so, you know, in kind of getting and driving these joint ventures, it's about becoming a connected player in the system and producing better results for their, their patients and our patients. The third thing we believe is we believe in value. That if you're going to have these relationships and these large relationships, that you better be one of the best. And so we're very focused. We're a very metrics-driven organization. Uh, we're very focused on our quality star ratings. Our average quality star ratings for an accident care agency is 4.2. Uh, we have no... Uh, we have none that are below that are b b below uh, three. We essentially uh, look within these relationships to drive some of the highest quality outcomes. And so we look at our readmission rates. Uh, they are always significantly below the marketplaces that, that we operate in because we want to bring value back, right? And so we're very focused on driving value in the marketplaces we operate. And then the fourth key thing we talk about is culture. And culture matters because the way I like to say it is, is all the best operating statistics that we see today are past history, but our future is in the culture that we create in our organizations. And so we're very focused on essentially driving the culture in a very deliberate way. We talk about the passions of the business. We tie those passions to scorecards within the marketplaces that we end up operating. Uh, we talk about our core core values in our business of compassion, integrity, resilience, and teamwork. 
and we drive these across and into the organization to create a bright future for us. So those are the, you know, the, 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 the four things, and those all drive, those all come together in these great partnerships we have. And, in fact, within the strategic marketplaces that we operate, uh, where we've crafted five to six of these strategic markets built around these partnerships, we drive organic growth rates in excess of 25% in those marketplaces, right? Because we are working together as a team to deliver better care in the community that's valued uh, and that's obviously being picked up. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of um, needing to have the scale, needing to have the right culture and the metrics to be the preferred partner, JV partner in these arrangements. Wondering if they, the, what the, the model sort of is in terms of, is it Accent Care managing uh, the day-to-day operations of the uh, home health for that hospital system? And sort of what is the, sort of how's the money split up or where does it come from in terms of, is it just the revenues or profits are shared? Are you in any arrangements where um, it's tied to, you know, shared savings um, in sort of like an ACO type model, bundles? Are you sort of involved in all those different types of frameworks? Yeah, these are very, and, and as you can imagine, sometimes the, you know, with these large systems, there is, you know, some variation, but I'll tell you some of the basic tenets associated with it. First is, is the systems turn to us as the day-to-day operators of the business because they recognize that, you know, they don't have the, they, what they're really good at is running health systems, running inpatient units, running physician practices, but they're usually not very good at running home care because uh, of the complexity of this business and, and, and the lack of scale in it. And so they, they turn to us as the day-to-day operators in the business. We create joint ventures with them, which are completely separate operating entities. Sometimes they contribute assets into them. Sometimes it's our contributed assets. Sometimes we're both contributing assets into this. They have an ownership stake in that. And uh, we always have the majority stake in in the particular joint ventures we're in. We spend a lot of time with them uh, talking about governance and governance structures. Uh, They are equal, even though we may be majority owners in it, they are equal partners at the table with us in it. And in fact, we spent a lot of time with them uh, making sure that we're not interested in doing a joint venture just to take a problem off their hands. We're interested in doing a joint venture to become connected into their systems and to actually create better outcomes and value for them and us. And so uh, a big part of our conversations is around setting up joint operating committees, uh, setting up joint clinical committees, uh, setting goals for what we look to achieve in the first several years of it and how we're actually helping them either get more patients out of the hospital quicker and stabilizing those patients in the community. We have responsibilities around our, taking our fair share of the charity care and the system and, and the markets that we're operating in with them uh, and being their you know, business partner across the board. So they're fairly complex relationships, but they are the hospitals are doing these with us not, all, not, not necessarily because they don't want to lose money or they want to make a lot of money in home health care, because they'll never, when you look at the general size of the systems, they're never going to make a lot that's relevant to them. They, they do them with us because they want a strategic partner that can help them better manage patients outside of their four walls. Got it. I could talk about this for a long time. I'm really interested, um, but I think we've got some other big topics to get to, so um, I'll keep moving along. One of them that I definitely want to get to, given your deep insurance background, is uh, Medicare Advantage. I think um, that's been a hot topic on the earnings calls of some of the big public home health companies recently. They've said that they're looking to grow their Medicare Advantage revenue. Wondering how Accent Care thinks about the Medicare Advantage opportunity, if that is becoming a bigger share of, of the uh, pie for you. And um, there was also just this announcement from CMS that um, Medicare Advantage plans uh, would be able to start um, offering non-skilled home care services as an allowable benefit. There's very few details about that. So I'm not sure if to get your thoughts on that, if you have any, um, I think what we've heard mainly is people are just sort of in a wait and see mode, but I guess just curious what you see as the uh, landscape for Medicare Advantage right now? 
We're excited. I mean, I know, uh, and this is one of the problems I've seen in this industry is, is too many people are running away from Medicare and, and, and working with health plans and not enough are running towards them. And uh, in accident care, uh, when you look at, uh, you know, our strategy has been very much to engage and run towards them. And we've been doing that for a number of years. We, we've been very active, not just in the Medicare Advantage plans, but in the Medicaid plans. And really working with them once again, focused on taking care of the sickest people they have within their population. And we've got a number of different programs uh, that we've done that with, that, that we've done programs with. We've worked very collaboratively with Health Springs here in Texas for years on taking care of their sickest patients in the Medicaid population and actually doing pretty well at it. We get paid, you know, uh, an equivalent of a Medicare Plus rate uh, to take care of their sickest patients, and we provide a lot of service for it. So taking care of their, you know, high-cost diabetics, for instance, with A1C levels over 10, uh, taking care of uh, some very significant behavioral patients that they end up having. You know, we've engaged them on, on, on programs like that. Right now, Medicare Advantage, you know, makes up in excess of, or the total, actually I'd call it Medicare Advantage and Medicaid, uh, makes up in excess of, you know, 35% uh, of our total business. But it does not hurt us financially because we've engaged the plans in the right way. We've driven with them uh, good contracts, and we're providing back for them what they perceive as good value. And so I think the combination, it's been a, a win-win situation. And so, you know, you got to learn how to engage at the right level inside of these plans. you got to learn to, you know, be, be, you're not going to make money on every product that you're doing with them, uh, but you got to learn that those are the trade-offs kind of when you're working with them. But we're really excited to, to what you talk about. What I think about, and it kind of lapses a little bit into, you know, what I see as the future of home care and health care, you know, I'm really excited what I think about the industry and this business and where it's going to be the next five years. I mean, you know, we as an industry and as a, and I'm talking home care and as a business, we need to grow up, right? There's There's been too many of us out in the marketplaces and we have not been mature enough organizations over time to really kind of be able to offer the scale and depth of expert, expertise to uh, managed care to the health systems to the different players within it and the exciting thing and I know it can be scary too is over the course of the next five years there's going to be significant consolidation in this industry you know but with that with, with that consolidation there's going to be greater investment in processes and systems and clinical management program that's going to professionalize the home care industry and it's going to open up new and different opportunities for us. And so you're going to see, you know, you're going to see fewer bigger players and a lot of smaller players, and you're going to see bigger differences between what bigger players can offer and what smaller players can offer out there, right? I think with that, payment systems will change, right? And the payment systems will enable greater use of home care providers for non-homebound patients and for services like you talked about, you know, not just as we know, that the, not, not, not just uh, patients with episodic needs, but patients with more ongoing chronic care needs. And I think through the combination of the personal attendance services, uh, as well as, you know, being able to actually provide more transition services, more care management services, things like that, you know, we're going to actually have a broader role actually in, in, inside, the, or in, in, inside the industry. And, you know, we're going to have to be flexible with it. In, in, in our approach, but it's going to, we, we have the opportunity to develop new and different and better capabilities over time. And care is going to move from being this event-based occurrence that, that we're in today where, you know, you have an event, you show up at the ER, and you get admitted to the hospital, and then you get discharged, to it's going to move to an environment where it's more continuous care, where you're going to see more use of technology, both in the home and on the patient. Uh, and there's going to be more central monitoring opportunities to take place with that. There's going to be more care management opportunities to, to take place with that. Uh, there's going to be more need for on-demand services that are not necessarily 30 or 60-day episodes. I'm thrilled that CMS is moving to a 30-day episode. I know that may sound crazy. Um, but you know what? Once again, we've got to grow up. Uh, we've got to recognize who our buyers are. Uh, and we've got to get ourselves in a place where they actually trust us more to do more. Right, and I think them moving to more of these kind of things, you know, we'll, we'll continue to be able to earn greater trust 
in the in, in the broader healthcare industry and be able to take on greater responsibility. What is it about the 30-day versus the current 60-day uh, episode of care that you think makes it a good move? I think it's going to open up opportunities for us once again. I mean, there's a lot of patients that are discharged out of hospitals today that end up in skilled nursing, that end up in nurse, that end up in facility-based stuff that they shouldn't be. And once again, if we can reduce the cost of an episode, it even makes it that much more attractive than a facility-based post-acute, post-acute incident. And so once again, our job as stewards of the healthcare system is to be the most efficient, effective provider in the system. And you know what? There's plenty of need out there. So once again, if CMS is going to push on us to make us even a more efficient, effective provider, and we can take what used to cost $3,000 for a patient and do that at $1,500, that's going to make the cost difference between, you know, an $1,800 a day skilled or inpatient day and a $375 a day skilled nursing day. And if ours drops to $70, there's going to be that much more incentive for more people to move more services to us and create greater demand for our services and greater opportunity, right? And so, you know, we've got to embrace this kind of change and we've got to look for kind of, you know, we've got to look for how we can adapt our systems, our people, our processes to take advantage of the upside in it. Great. So I'm cognizant of the time. We're getting toward the uh, end of our uh... Uh, a lot of time here. So I want to move toward wrapping up, but there's one big issue that I think I would be remiss if I didn't get your thoughts on, because I think it's so top of mind for so many providers, and that is workforce and staffing. Um, There's tight labor markets right now. There's a shortage of caregivers, rising wages. I guess just what are your, what are your, is this a big concern for you? And what are, what's Accent Care's approach to these big challenges? Yeah, I mean, labor is a big issue in this industry, and our ability to attract and retain the talent we need, in fact, in a number of marketplaces, the limiter to growth for us is our ability to, once again, recruit, onboard, and retain, you know, nursing and and clinical staff. And this is another part of just growing up. we got to become bigger businesses that can actually compete over time And the way we're going to be able to compete over time is to be more efficient and in driving our efficiencies, drive a portion of that upside back into the labor rates and the wages and the benefits that we're able to offer providers and to actually make a better work environment, you know, make a better work environment for them uh, than they have, you know, than, than they have. I mean, being one of the perplexing things that I have seen in this industry uh, as as a leader, is that you know since I've been here is is how we've allowed an industry made up of such a dedicated set of caring, compassionate people be tarnished by a few of bad apples, right? And you know when I look at all my years of experience, you know it's our job as leaders to actually tap into this great work that these people do and make better environments and actually make a better reputation. I think if we can make a better reputation, you know, for this business, then I think, I think in that, that, you know, we will be able to attract better talent. We need to get programs that are focused on pulling nurses out of school, right. And coming right out of school and putting them in training programs to become home care providers in the States that will allow us to do it and basically moving them out because once again, I think it creates a different dynamic than, you know, taking a, you know, t- taking, you know, somebody a little bit at a different stage in their career. I think, you know, they take, but they take more time and it takes more investment on our side. I think continuing to offer training and development programs, we in Accent Care have created career ladders, right, for our nurses out there. So our nurses have the ability today to actually go through structured training programs and get paid more for the completion of those programs over time, right? So we, we've got to continue to kind of bring programs like that together for them. I think we've got to create more aligned incentives for them where they actually can see the benefit of their work. I think there's opportunities for our nurses to do a really good job in taking care of patients out there and driving greater quality outcomes. I think there's a, an ability for those nurses to essentially... Um, be paid more, 
I think, and then kind of finding those nurses out there that want to be leaders, right? I think our best leaders that we have inside the organization used to be, were the home care nurses out there that started out in the field, got promoted to be clinical supervisors, eventually promoted to be executive directors in one of our sites, and then regional managers. Those are some of the best leaders we have because they, once again, have the hands-on experience out there. So, you know, we've really got an obligation. Our number one obligation is to our people. Right and and finding a way to essentially move them and make them make make this a better place and make them more successful and if we can do that we will attract better labor, kind of uh, into this because you know what this is a much more exciting place to be than sometimes sitting in a hospital working the floors every day and not getting to know the patients really you get to know the patients and then they leave on you after two and a half three days right. Um, here, they get to develop more longitudinal relationships with these patients over time. And I think that's a much more exciting, fulfilling opportunity for many of them in the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting for me listening to you. It strikes me, let me know if you think this is accurate or unfair, but I talk to some providers who complain and are concerned about the expectations that are being placed on home health and home care by managed care organizations and insurers and hospital systems and CMS that, you know, that the industry and providers within it be more efficient, do more with less, have uh, higher outcomes. And it sounds to me like you're coming out of that world of big insurance and coming into the provider side and saying, no, we can do that. We can be more efficient. We can drive value in these ways and still be successful businesses um, and are sort of trying to maybe show the industry how it's done. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, being in healthcare is tough mm-hmm. and challenging. And I've been all through healthcare and worked in a lot of different places. And in every place I've worked, it's never an easy job. Mm-hmm. But as leaders, it's not our place to wallow in the muck of what can be viewed as an unpleasant menu of obstacles we think shouldn't exist. But I think it's actually our job to create new realities and to inspire our people to actually rise above what is and to create what should be. And that's our job as leaders in this industry, in this business, and that's what we aspire for here at Accent Care. Great. Well, I think that's a great note to end the conversation on, but maybe a heavy one. So I have one more question for you, which is just uh, I would love to hear a little bit about what you do for fun to blow off steam. Um, obviously, like you said, it's stressful to be in healthcare. It's stressful to be a CEO. So just as a last note, curious to know what you do for fun. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I revolves a lot around. I'm married. I have three adult children. I've got a wife of 32 years. Unfortunately, no grandkids yet, but hopefully one day <laughs> we'll kind of get there, right? Um, I love to, um, I actually blow off steam. I exercise. I'm into fitness, so I do a lot of exercise and fitness. I ski in the winter. I boat and I'm, and I'm on the water in the summertime. And, you know, I just like to find a lot of excuses to pull my family together and uh, have great events and great times with my family. And that's the best, that's the most uplifting thing I can do. All right, great. 